the spouse in the house rule. Some concern about that now, some changes to it. Can you describe what has happened now and what we really mean when we say spouse in the house? What are we talking about? Uh, sure, yeah. The, the spouse in the house, I don't know where that uh, name came from, except that it uh, always reminds me of a Dr. Seuss book, uh, and it's a handy uh, moniker. But basically what it, it, the rule says is that if you're a single parent um, and somebody moves in with you and they are in a, um, a relationship that amounts to cohab cohabitation is the definition, then that other person's income is taken into consideration in assessing your eligibility for benefits. So practically speaking, what it means is if a guy moves in with a single mom, then the guy becomes the dad for mm -hmm. the purposes of supporting the children. And the rule had been up until October 95 that you could do that for three years before the rule would kick in. And the reason was that under Ontario family law, uh, you don't become the dad for three years under the Ontario Family Law Act. After three years of living together, uh, man and woman, the, the, the guy becomes the dad for the purposes of supporting the children and the mom. Uh, when Mike Harris was elected in October of 95, at, at the same time as he cut the rates uh, for welfare benefits, he also said, from now on, the day the guy moves in, he'll be deemed to be the dad for all purposes. So... Uh, um, Various people had gotten together and done a court appeal or a challenge of that uh, of that law, and about a month ago, the uh, welfare appeal board struck down the law as being unconstitutional. And uh, the reason, the main reason they said it was unconstitutional was because it wasn't consistent with Ontario law in defining what what a dad is. That is, that if the family law says it's three years, then it's three years for all purposes in Ontario. So the government has now appealed that uh, decision to divisional court, and it'll probably be about another year getting to there. Uh, and I'm, I'm one of the lawyers involved in the case. Um, so what's happened is, though, that the, the, the big dichotomy seems to be that a lot of people seem to think that by having a law that encourages or, or permits a woman to live with a guy, uh, it encourages non-marital relationships, which is Doesn't absurd. Uh, well, I guess I have to sort of think that one all through, sort of the permutations of it. Well, let me tell you what Dr. Laura would say. Dr. Laura, I'm sure her comment would be, well, wait a minute. All the guy wants is a little free whoop-de-whoop-de-whoop-de, and that's all, that's all he's there for. A, it's a bad example to the children. He's not taking responsibility for himself or for his actions. He's just sleeping with mom. Um, B, if he's there in the first place and there are children involved, all the more reason for him to make a commitment before he moves in with this woman. That we should, people shouldn't be doing that as offhandedly as they do. It's bad for the kids. Yeah, and that's part of it. And what, what the effect of the law is the way it is right now is what happens is you simply live separately. And that's the big distinction. And I think that there's a fairly large segment of society that would say now that uh, marriage is something that's sort of between the people. It's something that they do or they don't do. Uh, realistically, when you've got half of marriages failing, uh, there are a lot of people out there who I think would say living together isn't a bad idea to test drive the marriage. Although there's other people who say it's a bad idea. Well, but it comes down to that. I think if you, in my personal opinion, and I tend to be on Dr. Laura's side, I'm going to ask Bob what he thinks, but my personal opinion is that it's probably not good. We know that it's not good for the kids. I think... There's no question at all that having serial, serial boyfriends for mom is not a good idea. And, and for these young kids to be exposed to relationships where there's little commitment beyond let's go to bed, um, just isn't, we know that's not good for them. Uh, I don't know that at all. And when it comes to the difference being between uh, being raised by a single mom on her own or being raised by uh, a single mom with a guy who's in the picture and after three years becomes dad, I think that uh, the three-year picture is a healthier one for the kid.
uh, personally. The other thing that, that sort of is problematic for me in all of this is that the person who's left out of the whole equation is the biological dad, that he's basically left off the hook totally. And as a result of uh, cuts to the, um, the uh, Family Support Plan and Ontario Responsibility Office by the uh, Harris government, deadbeat dads get a much easier ride now than they used to in the past. And to me, I, I was struck by a letter to the editor the other day talking about this. Uh, women or a fellow had written in saying, um, the, the single moms need to know that the only person responsible for raising their children is themselves. That is, it's mom's responsibility to raise the children and no one's else. No one else is responsible for those kids. And I say, but what about dad? biological dad just because he takes off to me doesn't absolve him of responsibility and, and i know that there's this tradition that that's been what's happened in society but i think dad should still be responsible well why, why would that change if uh if if the boyfriend was required to contribute something to the upkeep of the household oh what they're saying is boyfriend's responsible to contribute as if he was dad dad's off the hook effectively robert you're strangely silent today well this is i haven't heard about this issue yet and i just want to make sure i understand it it seems to me that the only thing that really has changed here is this three-year limit, this three-year definition. Um, if that was challenged and defeated because of the fact that it was inconsistent with other laws, then I would suggest that the solution to that is make all the laws consistent. It doesn't sound to me like this case had anything to do with considering kids, considering fathers, or the relationships involved. It has everything to do with saving public money in terms of making someone who moves in with someone immediately responsible for sharing the the expense of living in that household, which as a taxpayer I can certainly go along with. On the other hand, I also understand the issue that you brought up of what Dr. Laura might say, and I, I tend to agree with that. But then again, you know, to me, if someone's moving in with someone to live with them, I would assume that they've already had, hopefully, a two or three year relationship. <laughs> uh, you know what I'm getting at? Oh, you it's are not, an optimist, aren't you? <laughs> well, it's not, it's, if, whether, so what? If they met three weeks ago and got married and moved together, we wouldn't be asking yeah. a question, and that's just as stupid a move. Yeah, you're right. So, so if we're talking about responsible adults, and let's assume that all the other things are properly in place, uh, regardless of what you might think about marriage versus common law, uh, I'd, I don't have a problem with it. I'm, I mean, sure, if someone's going to move in with someone, I would say, yeah, you're, you're accepting that responsibility and go to it. Help, you know, help the taxpayer out. But what happens right now, just to be clear, is that under the law, as it's been changed back to, that is the three-year rule, if a guy moves in, then the mom's benefits are still cut on the basis that she has a roommate. So, like, she only gets half of her rent, for instance. So her benefits do go down, but they don't treat the guy moving in as effectively the sole breadwinner. That is, that he's not solely responsible for these kids. No, and for me, it's a kid issue. It, the issue is that who's responsible for looking after these kids? And as I say, I think it should be uh, the, the deadbeat dad is the term that's been coined over the years. And there, there are all kinds of dads who can't pay for whatever reasons, and I recognize that. But there are also a lot who don't pay. To me, those guys are still responsible for their kids, whether they live with them or not. And the fact that a, a new person moves in, I don't think the first day that they suddenly step into the shoes of dad and should be totally responsible as, and let dad off the hook. How much does uh, does mom's allowance be uh, decline if there's a, another guy in the house, if there's a roommate? Well, uh, actually, I brought the table along here, but I can never read it. Uh, it takes me a while to go through the thing. You let your <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, give it to me. God, I can't even read the thing. But uh, what it does is that effectively her, her housing expenses are cut in half. Most of the money that mom gets is for the kids anyway. Uh, that is that... Uh, 
Um, you get, uh, and, and again, we'd have to get into the numbers there, but uh, the, the theory is that mom gets amount, an amount that's similar to welfare. That is, that if she was living as a single person, she would get get uh, 520 a month, for instance. Um, the extra money that she gets is for each kid, and that's controversial. There are some states, for instance, that don't do that, uh, that say that if you have kids, that's your problem. We're not going to pay you more. In fact, in New Jersey, if you have a new kid, they, they reduce your benefits as a disincentive. But anyway, what effectively happens is that her housing allowance is cut in half because she has a roommate. That's what it comes down to. Now, is that unreasonable? No, no, I think that's quite appropriate. And uh, how how is it any different from if she got a source of income from so many from any other source? You would automatically expect benefits to drop. That's, that's right. That's the way it works. So that's right. What's the difference here? Well, the difference in this case is that she can't get benefits from de from the guy who's moving in under Ontario law. And I agree with you that it is an issue of making the laws consistent. For instance, if they make the Family Law Act saying the day a guy moves in, you're deemed to be married, um, you know, then Ontario law is consistent. And I think we would have lost this case. It's the fact that that definition is three years, mm -hmm. and this other definition is, is like one day, that was the legal problem the government has. And in fact, there have been uh, two courts that have ruled on this issue. Another one in Nova Scotia ruled on it as well and said the same thing, that the, the, you can't do that. It's inconsistent. And, and what happens is when you've got these inconsistent laws, that's when the Constitution and the Charter kick in. That's well, are you satisfied? I mean, it, let's assume that the appeal failed that the government does not get its way. Are you satisfied with the situation the way it is now? Yeah. No, I think that's appropriate. And I think we haven't really talked about this, but uh, the first thing is I agree that benefits should go down if you are sharing accommodation with someone else, uh, whether it's male or female. Um, what if you rented a unit out to someone in your house? Should, should your benefits go down then too? They do. They yeah. do. Okay. Yeah. So it's fairly consistent yeah, there. And, and the idea, like generally the idea of with welfare benefits is to try to give you some money to live to live on basically and to give your kids money to live on. A big problem they've had is that they've recognized this problem with child poverty and that is that although Canada is one of the most affluent countries in the world, the indicators of child poverty in Canada are going up each year, particularly in Ontario. And the challenge for them is always how do we give more money to kids without giving it to the adults? Uh, but Why would you want to give money to kids? I don't think that's an issue at all. Child poverty is a misnomer for, for parents not looking after their kids properly or not looking after their responsibilities as far as I'm concerned. Well, what they're saying and... and all children are, are poor. They all live in the same house. We don't even allow them to work. work. Yeah, but uh, by, by sort of the international standards by which industrialized countries are measured, they're saying that there are more kids living sort of below uh, the poverty line in Canada than in most other industrialized countries as a percentage of our population. Yeah, but in Canada that tends to mean, and I don't mean to offend people, but it tends to mean they have a black and white TV instead of a colored one. Uh, well, that we're talking about industrialized countries. We're not talking about the third world. And, and I have heard the argument. In fact, I saw someone on TV a couple weeks ago say there are no children in, in Ontario living the way they live in uh, the Sudan, for instance. There are no children with distended bellies and so on. And I say, well, I, I would hope not. <laughs> yeah, we're an industrialized country. 643-1290 is the telephone number. Star 1290 on the Cantel. If you'd like to join our discussion on left, right, and center, uh, give us a call. And Robert did. Hi, Robert. Hi, Jim. Uh, my comment is I'd like to uh, hear your panelists discuss... Uh, uh, a welfare change that they did in Michigan, which is basically, I think it's, uh, you're allowed to be on welfare for three years, and then uh, that's it. You're off for life, and uh, you better look after yourself. The, uh, the, the reason behind it is uh, the welfare is supposed to be a temporary assistance, and um, I, I think that's what Ontario needs, to get a lot of people off their butts, so that we stop this intergenerational, uh, you know, generation after generation being on welfare. I think it should be a three or a five year cutoff where, where people can 
live off the, you know, their fellow citizens. And another thing is that Jeff keeps throwing around the word child poverty. Children uh, can't be rich or poor. They're not wage earners. They're not, you know, by definition, children aren't can't be rich or poor. So, like, this child poverty is just a big catch-all phrase that the left is using to, uh, to uh, make people feel sorry for, you know, uh, people with uh, children on welfare. Thanks for the call today, Robert. Okay, Appreciate thanks. It. And actually, it's a two-year uh, rule. And what happened was that Bill Clinton passed that rule as part of his big welfare reforms a few years ago. And what he did was downloaded a lot of responsibility for welfare to the states. But in exchange for that, he said the states will have much more, con the individual states will have much more control over the welfare programs. And one of the things that he did was permitted them to impose uh, lifetime limits for welfare. And uh, so many states now have a two-year limit. And what that says is that you can receive up to two years of welfare benefits, but after that, you're done for life. The problem that I have with that is that anytime you defer a decision like that, effectively, you're looking at a big problem two years down the road. You know, that everybody says, for now, things hum along okay. But two years from now, when suddenly we've got, you know, there are a million people on welfare in Ontario. Uh, if they all had nothing tomorrow, we'd have a big problem. Uh, I think that that is sort of just pushing the problem down the road. Then what do you suggest as the proper limit? Well, the problem that or I have there is be one? I, I can't see a limit in the sense that if somebody's out there and literally has nothing to live on in a country with the affluence we have, with the country with the affluence we have, I don't think they should drop dead in the street. What I would far rather see is them get a job. And I think that where the right and the left differ is on how do you get them a job with a carrot or a stick. No, I think where the right and left differ is that you think that it's other people's responsibility to look after that person, whereas the right would m more say that it's that person's responsibility to look after himself and not make himself a burden on others. Oh, yeah. There's the essential difference. Yep. And and I think the right might even go along with with the left if, if, if there were limits like this established, because then at least we would know that the money to a specific individual would cease at a certain point. You've done your bit to help that person out. <clears throat> if they still can't get themselves up and pull their bootstraps up, well then, you know, you've got to let them suffer the consequences of their own inaction or action. Well, That's case I know, and it's a question of how far you push that. Like, are you literally willing to see people lying on the streets like they do I in Delhi, in yeah, Delhi and India, for there's instance? There's another alternative, though, that has been proposed along with this, and that is that we set up, uh, I know Bob's not going to like this, but uh, we set up make-work projects, if necessary, for those people. If after your two or three years on the dole, you've not been able to improve your education or improve your status or find a meaningful job, then obviously you're not going to do that, you're not going to be able to do that, so the government will put you to work. Doing useful things, but the government's going to put you to work. You, ha you can't find a job, you've had all this time to do it, thanks very much, here's your shovel. What's wrong with that? Nothing. Nothing, although I don't think that it's, I don't think it's a panacea people will think it is, and ultimately it's, uh, it's like socialism in the sense that they're all working for the government, and the question is how long do they continue doing that. Where I, where I get into it uh, is how do you set that up? The, the fundamental problem I have is that uh, the first thing is far and away the majority of people who are on welfare today in Ontario are not multi-generational. There are, there are some, no question about it, but most of them are people who are thrown out of work either through the recession or the jobless recovery, and it's lingered on and on and on. We've got this high unemployment. Uh, to me, unless you get the unemployment rate down, you know, you're just sort of diddling around. You're not fixing the fundamental problem. But one thing that I think the left and right both agree on is that it's far better to have these people working than sitting home doing nothing. Uh, it's just a question of how do you get them out and what do you get them doing? Bob, I've got a question for you. This, this is a recurring theme from, from you and from the right on this issue, that people have to take more responsibility for themselves. Uh, and I agree. I think they do. But how do you say that to someone who's 
of whom society has never asked that in the past. How do you say to an adult who's never been required to do that, okay, it's time to shape up? Someone who's not... That's, that's why I think you establish these kinds of limits. That's, that's the signal. You, you go to them and it's just like how do you break, uh, you know, properly a contract that you might want to break. You have to give advance notice. You can't just pull the plug overnight. Yeah, but you've got an individual there who's, who hears your words and their responsibility, yeah, but he doesn't, he, doesn't know, he doesn't even know what it is. He's never had any in his life, or she, never had to be responsible for anything. You know, maybe kicked their way through school, maybe dropped out early, probably had a menial job here and there, maybe had a reasonably good job, I don't know, um, but probably had a menial job. And we're talking about a small number of these folks, but the number's there. Uh, never really amounted to very much, been on and off welfare all their lives, and, you know... Well, if work is out of the question for these people, I'd introduce them to a few charitable organizations, mm -hmm. or vice versa. Mm -hmm. I would uh, recommend other ways, maybe consider self-employment, maybe retrainment. I mean, the options are endless in terms of... No, but uh, you're missing the point. What I'm trying to say here is you've got... How do you deliver the message? Is that, got, yeah, is that your question? You've got question? people with a mindset that has been built up over their entire lives. You and I can talk about responsibility, and you and Jeff and I can talk about it, because we all deal with it every day in our lives. We're responsible members of the community. But somebody who's never had... They've never been responsible for diddly squat from, from the, the time mom and dad stopped feeding them and putting clothes on their back. They've been out, as I say, doing menial jobs or being been on welfare or how, whatever. How do kids do it then? Kids are gro kids grow up with that quote mindset. They don't they don't have to look after themselves until they're eighteen to twenty one mm -hmm. or so, and then all of a sudden they have to. How do they cope with it? Well, I, I think, mean, I think because they've been trained. That's my whole point. They've grown up in an environment where they've seen responsible individuals around. I'm not I'm not saying what you're saying is wrong, but but I think we have to recognize that it's one thing to say to an individual, okay, time to be responsible. It's, well, it's, it's quite it, it's quite another it, to be assured that he has the ability to do that. If you're saying, if you're talking about an entrenched mindset, then then, then that almost makes me want to say, well, then do pull the plug quicker. Just to, you know, that shock might just get rid of that mindset. 643-1290 is the phone number, star 1290 on the Cantel. It's left, right, and center with Schlemmer and Matt. And let's go right to the phones where Sherry's waiting. Hi, Sherry. Hi, how are you? Fine, thank you. Um, I'm really wondering if, um, I don't know the name of your one guest, if they're living in the real world, I don't understand why I'm always hearing these excuses that so many people on welfare are these da are people that have been downsized. Because myself included, anyone I know that's been downsized, and you know, you are at the bottom, and and sometimes your ego's beat. We pick ourselves up and find a job. I don't care if I had to deliver pizza; I would work. I have a work ethic. And just most of the people that I know on the system are spitting out babies. And you know, I'm dealing with a situation right now. Twelve years raising my kids, I can't get a lousy eighty dollars a month out of my ex. Yet he's just fathered another baby, left her. He's working under the table, collecting welfare. She's on MA. They're all ripping off the system. And nobody acts upon it at all. Jeffrey? Well, the first thing is, if somebody's collecting uh, benefits and uh, making money under the table, you should turn them in because there's an extremely vigorous uh, anti-fraud uh, uh program in uh, in Ontario so turn them in but as far as the uh, unemployment problem uh, it's it's not me talking it's the government statistics and the government who look very closely at it who keep saying we don't we just don't have nearly enough jobs and and you can talk about under the table jobs and crappy jobs and all that kind of stuff but there are still a million people out of work well, wait and there ain't a million jobs out there I'm on the road right now I'm employed too and I'm constantly looking for staff and I'm having a miserable time in southwestern Ontario finding staff we call the and, Canada Employment Center. Uh, no, I go through the HRDC. I have ads running in the newspaper. My head office out of Toronto runs them. And then you do get some people 
who are working, like, I mean, who do get assistance, then it's, I don't want to work more than so many hours because they'll cut my benefits back. And it's like, well, don't you have any pride? Wouldn't you rather make most of your income yourself and still maybe get your medical or your dental from the government? At least, you know, you're clothing your baby. Well, one of the problems, you're right, is that uh, if it's a job that pays less than welfare pays, then it's extremely difficult for somebody on welfare to take a job because the rules are so complicated about what they're allowed to do and not do and so on. That the, invariably, uh, every time I see somebody who's on benefits who takes a job to, uh, to supplement the income, and, and their benefits are reduced, of course, for what they make, they only get to keep a small fraction of what they actually make. But a lot of people try it, but invariably they get in trouble. They end up getting cut off because the rules are so complicated. That's but a big problem. They should simplify it. It's true. What happened to our work ethic? I've worked for 12 years, raising my kids, no child support. You know, they're excellent kids. Um, I haven't gotten, you know, like I said, child support. And I've worked two or three jobs to do it. And I have neighbors who at the end of the month have more money than me after I've paid for daycare and kept my vehicle on the road and had to keep my clothes up to the, you know, the nines because of my appearance. And, but I'm not going to sit at home and collect a check because I'd be making more doing that. It's wrong, because then I'm putting kids into the world with that attitude. Yeah. No, it's great. It's great that you're doing that. And I can tell you, though, that it's a myth to suggest that most people on welfare don't have a work ethic. Most people do. And there are, you can always point to exceptions, and you can say, I know somebody who knows somebody who uh, sits at home and doesn't do anything and hasn't for years. And, and that's true. And that, there are bad apples in everything. Yeah, right? but you know what? There are even I some bad lawyers, I can tell you. I would argue with you. You know, I lived in cooperative housing for 10 years, and I swear to God, maybe one family that was on welfare was there because of downsizing. The rest were spitting out babies. Sure. And if the government would pass legislation that if my, I'll tell, I've told my daughter, if you got pregnant and you're not of legal age, that's it. You're not keeping no baby. If there's, this country should not be paying for you to now have a home that we all pay for, now have a child, now have free education. You go out and get a job. Amen to that. Thanks for the I, call, I Sherry. agree. Take okay. Bye-bye. And Daryl's up next. Hi, Daryl. Yeah, good morning. A uh, couple comments on this w the welfare here. I think the one drop uh, thing we have to make is it's less attractive to people. I have a family member on this uh, who, like the other lady just said there, it comes time. She, she works at a hospital. She turns down the hours because it might affect her welfare. She's, it's not worth her while to. Every year she, she at Christmas time, she lost the budget. She gets three or $400 towards coats for her kids which she says they don't even need the new coats, but they said that welfare gives her the money. We also pay for both our kids to go into the Y membership at $240 a pop, and she's gained two kids in there for less than one of us for a Y membership. And, and she loves it. She says there's no incentive to work, and she says she has no plans to get off welfare for the next three, five years. Well, I guess, uh, again, you, you can always point to exceptions and say, I'm happy to, I can talk about exceptions in any field you choose to mention. The yeah, problem is yeah. that I, I work with these guys all day long as well, and I can tell you for every situation you tell me like that, I can tell you a dozen situations where somebody has tried to get off, has run into the problem that you just mentioned, which is that if you try to get off, you screw up your benefits, and then it's months and months trying to get them fixed again, and I'm the guy who tries to fix them. It's six months to get an appeal heard if, something, if you get cut off wrongfully. You know, if they would get rid of all this bureaucracy and genuinely make it easier, easy for people to go on and, and while they're still on welfare, start into a job and try and work their way into full-time employment, that we'd be all much better off. But they're dealing with a massive bureaucracy, and it's not just me talking. All the municipalities now are talking about how the bureaucracy has gotten way, way worse in the last three years. So again, it's true. If you're on welfare and you try and get off by taking a part-time job or trying self-employment or anything like that, uh, inevitably you get your benefits screwed up and it'll take you months to get them fixed. They've got to fix that. Daryl, appreciate your call. Okay, thank you. Thanks for joining us. Well, let me ask you this quickly, Jeff. We've got some more callers waiting. Um, 
now that the, down, the, the responsibility for welfare has been shifted yet again to municipalities, why can't the municipalities fix that and cut out the red tape, or, or do they have to follow the provincial regulations? They is do that, have to follow the problem. Well, what's happened is that the, the province uh, sets out the rules that the, that the municipality has to follow. They've just come out with new rules that are about 800 pages long. Municipalities have extremely little discretion. It's sort of like the, uh, the thing with the schools now, where the school boards are theoretically supposed to negotiate, but realistically, the province holds all the controls. That's why we keep hearing Dave Johnson in, every day in the paper, or in the news, even though theoretically he has nothing to do with it. Realistically, he's got all the cards and it's the same with welfare that the province micromanages it and the cities have very little discretion 643-1290 is the telephone number this is left right and center with uh, jeff schlemmer and bob metz and rose joins us hi rose yes good morning um hi jeff and bob um hi. jim i was just wondering um i wondered if this is a feasible question or not um with all the the talk and complaints and the striking um uh, with um education and uh, hospitalization um they're wanting to do cutbacks. Uh, I, I know for a fact, because I work in a hospital setting, uh, that there's shortages of staff. Uh, I really like the idea that um, people getting off welfare after a limited time, say three years, is a good idea. And therefore, the, if they can't, the government will find them a job. Why not put them into these types of places where they have programs for volunteers, and they are really in, that, in, in, in really dire straits for volunteers, for staff, could they not set it up so that... Um, well, the unions wouldn't like it. <clears throat> well, in fact, um, why wouldn't the unions like it if... Uh, Taking jobs away from union workers. And, and Well, you, you can't take the jobs away from the workers if the people are turning down the jobs oh, because yeah, it's going to affect their benefits. Yeah, but that doesn't matter. Why? Well, you tell me. But my question... That's always been the response from organized labor when then they start talking about government volunteer programs is A, they won't work, and B, it threatens our jobs. Actually, the unions have no problem with volunteer programs, but where they have a problem is with mandatory work programs. Well, come uh, on, now they okay, have a problem with volunteer programs, oh, no. too. No, they That's don't. That's not a really a mandatory. They're, they're actually getting into more part-time people than they have full-time people there. Yeah. And if they're wanting to have uh, volunteers coming in, they're, they're looking for them, they're needing them, they're advertising for them. Why not have the program set up so that it, instead of chasing your tail and saying it's too complicated, because they can certainly pass the GSP if they want to. Uh, they can also, uh, the city can actually go out and buy chairs if they want to. They can do all kinds of things <laughs> if they really want to, yeah. and yet yeah. they'll chase their tail and say this is too complicated, and yet they need volunteers, they need staffing, and there's no job. I, I agree, it's a good idea. Yeah. It's, a, it's a good point, Rose. Uh, yeah. From the standpoint of the government, I know that what they'll tell you is that it's sort of a two-edged sword, that we have a government that's free enterprise-oriented, and they don't want to create a labor force, a substantially Where, sized labor uh, force. What about the welfare system, though? That's not really free enterprise. No, but they, they, <laughs> yeah. don't, they don't want to have a whole thousands of Ontarians on government payroll, even though it's at welfare rates, doing They're jobs. They're giving out the welfare checks to people. Yeah, I know. But that's the, that's the problem they have. Personally, I think the only reason that anyone even wants to apply any sort of make-work concept to welfare recipients is to make welfare less attractive for them. And personally, I wouldn't want to be served by someone who's being forced to work just to get, get welfare payments, and that's the only reason they're there. I don't okay, think they're going to be... Okay, you're having this discussion that there is a problem. Otherwise, there wouldn't be a discussion about welfare. Well, the, 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 the problem is much more fundamental. We have a complete structure, and, and we've already referred to it, of, of unions who want to monopolize a certain part of the labor market, which should not be allowed. Monopolies should not be allowed in a free enterprise society. Okay, but if a person's advertising for volunteer... Employ, like not, a, you can't even call them a, an employee for volunteers. Mm -hmm. Why would that? Well, maybe uh, there should be some. 
Jeff, let me ask you now, if you're, if you're on welfare and you do volunteer for something, does that affect your benefits at all? Do you get any credit for having done that? Uh, you have to maintain your job search, so you're expected to be out every day looking for work. But, if but I'm saying, if though, instead of using the volunteer as just basically volunteer for, for people that are willing to extend themselves, yeah. use it as a work incentive. Well, yeah, so I agree. You're doing something productive. Yeah. You're, you're actually forcing these people to be responsible and to spend some time with someone that's elderly that has nothing left in their life. Yeah, yeah. Good point. I think it's a great idea. The, the government, the other thing the government says is that they won't allow them the time during the daytime to be doing that because they're supposed to be out looking for work. They can volunteer in the evening if they want. Yeah, but but if they I think you're right. Job and they're on the uh, program for yeah. three years. I think you're right. I think it would be a great way to, to spend their time. I, I, it's one of those things that looks good on a resume. It uh, keeps them out and, and in the community. Uh, and if they're spending their days uh, pounding the pavement and they can't find a job after a certain amount of time, then I think it's a, it's a great idea. Rose, thanks and I think the advertising should be going, uh, gone out to people as well. Like the other lady that I called, that she said that she was um, raising her kids for 12 years yeah. and had taken cutbacks. She did the same thing. Yeah. It can be done. Rose, thanks for the call. Okay. Take Thank care. You. Bob, I just want to come back to something you said, because I'm a little unclear on, on, on your position on this. If we had mandatory cutoffs... Um, cutoffs to, well, like, uh, time-wise, Yeah, time-wise. Okay. So two years, three years, whatever. At the end of that time, you, you just maybe you just used the phrase inadvertently. You said that they have to work to get their benefits. My, my understanding of at least one of, the, one of the proposals is, no, you don't work for benefits. You work at a job. It's a job you get paid. If you don't do it, you don't get paid. No, so, I don't recall making... Sorry, maybe like mis that. misunderstood what you're saying. Let's go back to the phones with caller Kathy. Hi, Kathy. Hi, Jim. Hi. I like your show very much. Thank you. Especially when it's come to welfare people. Mm -hmm. I'm terribly, terribly angry with this welfare thing. Like, I agree absolutely with the previous caller about at least volunteer, do something yes. for that money. What's wrong to... to in the winter time, uh, shovel the snow or... Uh, Wash the windows in summertime or to older people, to people who can't do for themselves. At least those people who do something. It's illegal right now, but it should be legal, I agree. I, and, and plus, the other thing, like, I strongly believe there is jobs there, just people are too fussy to find the job. For example, right now, there is tobacco, there is picking apples, there is so many other things to be, to can, can be done. Mm -hmm. You know, I think you're but, right, Kathy. Yeah, and uh, I'm terribly upset about that. Our taxpayer money. For example, I worked for 30 years. I worked. I didn't collect from the government one, one penny. Then I asked for my disability pension. I got so much problem. You know, to have that, and yet those people, lazy yeah. ones, I, I'm not saying all of them, yeah. but many of them, they don't want to work. Thanks for the call, Kathy. You're welcome. Take care now. Norm joins us next on Left, Right, and Center. Hi, Norm. How you doing? Great, thanks. I was not just uh, <clears throat> when you talk to that gentleman there about he's talking about cut-off system. Now, my wife's been in, we've been in this country for 30, well, 43 years. We have Mr. D's work. My wife has a Mr. D's work. Her cousin came over here uh, about 23 years ago. She was only here a year. Her husband died, and she's been on welfare for 22 years. Now, uh... According to what I believe, you're supposed to tell the welfare when you go to the country. Uh, this doesn't happen. Uh, the welfare, I, I phoned the welfare in Toronto, three different places. And uh, they said, oh, it's nothing to do with us. I said, well, uh, aren't you supposed to report that? Because remember the trouble they had with the woman from Somalia? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, there's something wrong here. So it works out that <clears throat> now she's on the old days pension and uh, she gets another check from something else. My wife has worked for 30 years in Canada, and my wife only gets $100 a month more than her. 
So there's something wrong here someplace. So she say, is she living in Canada? or she's Yeah, not? she's living in Canada. She goes back and forward to the old country like uh, you wouldn't believe, maybe sometimes twice a year. Oh, okay. Yeah, if you leave the country, you have to tell them, no question right, about yeah, that. Yeah, but and you, don't, don't. And you don't check on it. I mean, that's her been getting a check sent for 22 years without anybody phoning up and saying, what are you doing, where are you going, or, or anything like that. Well, the check just comes through the door. Now, there's something wrong there someplace. Part of the problem right now is that, uh, that with this massive bureaucratization, the government is in a paradox because what they're doing is they're saying, we don't trust anybody on welfare, so we're going to require them to provide paper proof for everything that they, that they, all the information they give us. The consequence of all that paper and handling the paper has been that they have a lot less time to be going out and doing inspections and things and checking people out like that. Listen, I called three different agencies in Toronto about it, and none of them was quite willing to, to uh, even give them an address. Oh, that's nothing to do with us. You need to phone this office. I phone the other. I phone two or three offices because it got me mad that my wife had to work all these years and she's and this person is here and getting my wife is only getting a hundred dollars yeah. more a, a year than she's getting. Yeah, well, now, it, that's been it, going on for twenty-two years. So you can't blame this government. They, I, oh, I blame the likes of you who's running the welfare system. Should be looking more into these people. I mean, why, why are you not saying right every month you come up here and report to us? Now, that woman, she told us herself, she's never once been called back to the welfare. Well, again, the reason is they won't spend the money to do that. That's why it doesn't happen. So you mean, tell me you've put this woman's dead. She's lived in this country for 20-odd years. She's getting all this money, and, and nobody's doing a thing about it. And as I've said, because they won't spend the money to do something about it. Although I, I, I find it very really surprising. If they call the welfare call? office and say somebody's moved out of the country, then they'll cut them off uh, the next day. Uh, oh, in no, London. no, 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 no. In no, London, no, no. that's how it works anyway. I called three different welfare companies, uh, people in the districts and, and Toronto, and none of them were willing to look into it. I'm going back about five or six years ago. Right, I don't understand why you're calling three of them that uh, you presumably call the one I where she lives, one, and that's and the she end she said, of it. oh, we don't, we don't deal with that district. Okay. Well, there you get you a go. sense of some of the bureaucracy that's involved that I'm yeah. always complaining about. <laughs> yeah. So I think uh, uh, the person was on earlier on said, three years, that's it. If you're not going to get a job in three years, then there's something wrong. Norm, appreciate the call, sir. Right. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Bye-bye. Well, Jeffrey, I think all three of us are agreed that there, the bureaucracy is part of this problem, but nobody has seen I don't. You don't think I, so? I, well, the bureaucracy was originally meant to, to make it difficult to get on to welfare, and, then, and it has backfired now to make it difficult to get off in, in the sense of, you know, going to a job and then coming back if things don't work out. Mm. To me, the issue is not the bureaucracy. I think the issue is the morality of the whole situation. Is it proper to force a person like Norm to pay for somebody... Who's, make, who's getting on welfare just a little bit less than what he's getting working, uh, what is the morality of that to force people who are working to pay for those who aren't? Well, you know, the argument, for whatever the argument is, though, we don't want people sleeping in the streets. We don't want people starving. Well, if we don't want that, then we would voluntarily give our money to prevent that from happening, and we don't do that, so obviously we're lying to ourselves when we say that, and I don't really think most people really care about whether people are sleeping on the street as long as it's not their street. My and problem is that I don't spend a lot of time defending those people who are on for 22 years because there's so few of them in the system, and, and that's just that. the way it is. Just well, I have to keep saying that. That's the reality. And yet, caller after caller after caller, how many shows have we done like this? And yeah. all you get... Well, why are you going to call in? the hour with is people who don't agree with you, Jeff. They come in, they call, and they say, no, Jeff, it's not like that. And I'm sure that there are people who are genuinely in need and genuinely on the welfare system in a, in a 
proper way, that is to say that they've met all the bureaucratic requirements. But, the, but none if we've heard from 10 people out of a million, to me that's not statistically relevant. All I can go by is what the government says. The government says most people are on for about eight or nine months, period. And it's, it's not because Mike Harris is, is a left-winger well, that he's saying some, that. I just, so saw, that's what I he just says. saw in the paper yesterday or today in one of the papers, the Globe or the Star or the Sun or the, or the Free Press, I don't remember which one, that went, quoted back the 20% fraud figure. Oh, that was uh, Christina Blizzard, yeah. She said that Tony Salipo had said that back in 94 when he was the welfare minister and brought in the fraud squads. And he did say it was 20% to justify that. However, then when he went out and did some research on it, had his staff do research, they came back and said, uh, Mr. Minister, it's actually about 2%, uh, which was quite embarrassing for him, but, and it continues to be embarrassing for him. But, and it's still about 2%. Nothing has changed there. Well, but as far I... as how long people are on, they're on for about eight months to a year, the average person. That's what the government tells us. And not because the government is sympathetic to welfare people, it's because that's what reality is. But are there anecdotes? Sure, there's all, all kinds of horror stories. All right, we have to pause for a moment. We'll be back. More Left, Right, and Center coming your way. This is Talk of the Town, our special Wednesday program, Left, Right, and Center, with uh, Jeff Schlemmer on the left and Bob Metz on the right and me somewhere flailing around in the middle. Uh, we're going back to the phones here where Al is waiting. Hi, Al. Hi there. Yes, sir. I'll ask the question and just listen to the answer on the radio. Okay. This has to do with the spouse in the house. The well, that's where we started, but on this show, you never know where we're going to go. Yeah, yeah, I realize <laughs> that. My, my, my question really is quite a simple one. The way that I hear it, as someone who does not understand all the rules and the regulations, if you have a spouse in the house, then you can still get welfare. Does that mean that my wife makes absolutely no money whatsoever? She is at home. She has no means of employment, no means of bringing money into the house. I live here, too. I do have a job. Does that mean she can apply for welfare? No, and, and unfortunately, the, the, the sort of flippant title that we give to a spouse in the house is somewhat misleading because the, the question is, is it really a spouse or not? And under Ontario law, the, the person who's living with you is not a spouse for those three years until the Family Law Act kicks in. If you're just living together. Right. So because Al and his wife are married, even though she has no visible means of support... What if he said, I'm not giving you any more money? Uh, well, they're still married, though. Yeah, uh, but she, so so you're just, saying it would be better not to be married? No, but it's the same thing if they've been living together for more than three years, then they're also caught by the family law. No, they're, but they're deemed but, to but, be spouses. But, but they're married. Let's say, here's just, and I know Al would never do this to his lovely bride, <laughs> but here's <laughs> Al. Let, let's assume I move out for three months and say, here, you're on your own. Yeah, says, I'm tired, I'm tired, I'm getting out of here, and, uh, and don't bother calling me because I'm not giving you any money. What you'd have to do is get divorced. Okay. No, no, but what happens if that happens to, to his wife? He says, I'm not giving you more money. I'm out of here for a while. I'll be back in a couple of weeks, and meanwhile, I'm not giving you any money at all. Oh, can she get welfare? Can she get welfare? Oh, sure. We're not going to let her starve in the street. And what happens when he moves back? When he moves back, then they're still married, and, uh, and they go back to the same deal they have right now. Oh, and he says, I'm not going to give you any money. I'm, I'm sleeping here, but I'm not giving you any money. Again, we, we get into sort of the legal thing. Yeah, I hope we're not giving you any You're a lawyer. What, what uh, I'm, apolog I'm apologizing because I understand this seem, may seem kind of weird, but the fact is he's still married. And if you're separated and get back together again without getting divorced, you're still married. If you go through a divorce and then you start living together again, then you've got the three years that kicks in. I'm as confused as you are. <laughs> well, I, I, I told you. <laughs> okay, I, I guess that's as good an answer as I'm going to get from the bureaucracy, isn't it? There you are. Okay. Thanks a lot. Bye. Take care. 643-1290, and uh, Frank joins us. Hi, Frank. Hello, Frank. Hello, Frank. Well, we lost Frank. Uh, I'm still not, but I'm confused about that. And I'm not, this isn't, you didn't make these laws, of course, but you are a lawyer. What, 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 like, and I think he raised an interesting point there. What's different between him and the guy next door who's living with a woman and they're not married? And uh, the assumption is he's not going to give her any money. 
And, and you know, what, what's to stop Al from saying, you know, you ought to have a job. Why don't you go get a job, you lazy so-and-so? I'm tired of keeping you. I'm well, not giving you any more money. You just forget it. I'm going to eat my meals in a restaurant every night. I'll do get my laundry done at the laundromat, and I'll cut the grass. But I, you, you get no money from me. You want to eat and look after the house? It's up to you. Well, again, uh, if they've... If you're looking at the family next door and they've been living together for three years, they're in the same boat. They're deemed to be married for all purposes. But for but three years, they're for not. For less than three years, they're not. That's right. And that's because that's what the Family Law Act says. And in Ontario, our Family Law Act says we don't deem you to be common law spouses until you live together for three years or have a kid. If you have a kid, but then I, you're deemed I, to be married. So you're deemed to be, does your welfare stop when you're deemed to be married? Uh, if if uh, one's making a good living, it does. If you're not, then it continues on. There are lots of married people who are on welfare. Uh, so they look at the total household income and then say, "That's right." Even though he's not giving, Al's not giving any money to Susie or whatever his wife's name is. Even though that's not our problem. No, that's right. Within the, within a marriage, they don't get into it. But uh, the problem is, and, and and see the way these things sort of stretch out. You start off because the wife does get thrown out. Then you're going to give her welfare. Yes, you give her welfare. Then the question is that uh, you know, what permutations will you continue to give her, and particularly the kids, benefits? And the permutation at this point is that. Uh, say you can have a person there for three years. Now I'm giving you the, the vastly simplified version of this rule as well, that the rule itself is far more complicated because it provides that uh, you're only cohabiting if you're in a relationship with uh, social and familial interdependence where there's an economic arrangement. And the other part of the problem with this law is that nobody knows what that means. It's so subjective. And that's why, the, that's why we have complex regulations, is to keep the law subjective. Wherever you see complex regulations, you know you have a corrupt system. It's I agree. corrupted right at the root. Yeah. And it's corrupted for the very purpose of keeping bureaucrats in power and letting them make the decisions and putting the power in their hands rather than having an objective set of rules but, by which to go. But, I agree. But, Bob, they're better equipped than us. They're bureaucrats. <laughs> they know better than we do what we should be doing. Well, well they, they certainly have the power, and I, I, I personally resent that personally because I don't think they should have such power. Uh, to me, the problem in this country is not so much politicians as the bureaucrats, and you'll find that at every level of government. Who makes policy? Politicians do not. But bureaucrats do. Well, you see it right down the street here about this chair issue at City Hall and all the politicians saying, I didn't know they are going to cost that much. Not my department. I don't know how much they spent. No, it wasn't me. Nobody asked me. Just like uh, Mike Harris didn't know that 12-year-olds were going to be allowed to go hunting with a gun because that, that was a bureaucratic decision. And you can go to every level of government and find all these decisions being made and policy being made at the bureaucratic level, handed to the politicians. They rubber stamp it, and through it goes. And that's, that's the way our democracy has degenerated. Let's go back to the phones, and Tony joins us. Hi, Tony. Good morning. I just want to make a comment. Um, he said something about uh, people that are married are on welfare. Is that true? Uh, some are, yeah. Okay. Um, me and my, my boyfriend, we've been together eight and a half years now. We own our own home. We both had really good jobs, okay? We both lost our jobs because the business closed down. Mm -hmm. He's got a dead-end job. I've got two dead-end jobs now because we can't make enough to get a good job and to support our house, our kids, and everything else. And we were denied welfare because we own our own home, and we are together. The only way I could get welfare for the kids and to keep the house going was to sell the house and get rid of the husband or the boyfriend. So, so what would you do? Oh, I just told him, forget it. I'll just go out and get two dead-end jobs, and I just got another one yesterday because we're not making enough. We don't even make 25000 between the two of us. Well, I know that the, the laws are, are really complicated, and, and I think that's a big problem. 
from your end of it, uh, it shouldn't be the case. Now, I, I understood that you were allowed to own a house, although uh, it may have been a house that was beyond sort of what your means would be on welfare, because like you're, you have a very limited shelter allowance. You may not have been able to pay the mortgage. I don't know. But you're supposed to be able to get welfare and own the house you live in. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but I know it's a big problem uh, that the, you run into one of these little loopholes and you're, and you're done like dinner. Well, it's because we own the house and he lives in the house. So they wanted me to get rid of him and sell the house. And it's like, no, we bought the house for a reason, to establish family, to establish all the good stuff my parents taught me, his parents taught him, to show our kids, you have a home, this is your home for the next 20 years or so. You know, so are, are you guys gonna, married? Pardon me? Are you guys married? Not yet, next year. On our 10th anniversary, we're getting married. <laughs> you, might, you might be in a good position to comment then. Most of the criticism of, of the appeal of this and most of the support for the rule has been on the basis that it's unhealthy for children to live in a family where the parents are not married. That's Do, not true. That's not true. My kids are very... Well, my daughter wins awards for a game that she, she created. Okay, Tony, cool. would you say, though, it would be different, and we're not talking about you in particular, but let's just say that you had a different boyfriend in the house every six months. Is that good for the kids? No, no that okay. I don't agree with. Well, me and him have been together eight and a half years, yeah, yeah. so it's none of the kids are his, but they're still his kids, yeah, right? But, it, it also, no, I don't agree with every six months a new boyfriend. I, <laughs> I don't either. There's a word for that. Yeah. <laughs> Tony, thanks for joining us today. Have a good day. Take care. Bye. This is Left, Right, and Center on 1290 CJBK. Had one of those shows today. Uh, let's take a trip to Toronto by way of Windsor and Penetanguishene and Ottawa. We kind of went all over the place. We started with the spouse in the house and uh, just uh, taking a look at that issue. Uh, Jeffrey, I'm going to give you the final word here on this. I don't know whether there is a final word per se. Um, I understand better than I did before we started talking about this, though. Uh, that that the, the guy still has some responsibilities to the household, but not to the kids. That's right. Not for three years, except he has to share the rent. What about at the end of, a uh, very quick question, the end of uh, two and a half years, he moves out for a week or two weeks or a month or two months, does he start over again with the three years? No. No, they wouldn't let him, wouldn't let him get away with that. Robert, uh, is there anything wrong with the situation now where we're saying, uh, as long as you're sharing your expenses, that uh, that's okay? Is, is there anything wrong? Well, with I mean, she's going she's gonna to have her, not going to have her uh, uh, child care support reduced, but she will have her housing allowance reduced, so she and the boyfriend are going to have to come up with the money together. In a way, I think it, that issue is almost irrelevant. I'm, I'm more interested in the plight of people, for example, like Tony, who just called, where basically the bureaucracy is telling her that if she wants to collect welfare, she's got to be in more of a position in need than she is already. They want to put her in a worse position, sell your house, get rid of your husband, mm -hmm. destroy your family, and then we'll give you money, and we'll pay you to do it. To me, that is the fundamental moral issue behind all of this, and that we, we cannot continue to live in a society that sets standards like that, because that, to me, is the, is the basic infrastructure that is destroying all the things that people hold dear. Folks, we thank you for listening to this edition of Left, Right, and Center. Bob and uh, Jeff will be back next Wednesday in the 11 o'clock hour, and we're always uh, interested in hearing from you, too. If there's a topic you'd like to hear them discuss, let us know, and we'll try to get it on the table for you.